Kia ora, I'm Erin Keem and you're listening to Conversations About Closets with my closest thousand friends. I started this project to get me through a gloomy Seattle winter, which was hitting me hard. The thing is, I love women. Why not showcase them? Why not call women I've never met, have our first conversation, record it and turn it into a podcast? So that's what I did. I didn't edit, I still don't. Some days I'm on fire, some days not so much, and sometimes I even forgot to ask questions about closets. But all my guests are amazing. Listen up, get to know them, you'll be glad you did. If you want to be a guest on my show, go to erinkeem.com. I'd love to meet you. Aroha for listening, here's today's episode. Susan, hi. Hi, how clever are you? Oh, well, I had help from my very clever husband. I love it because um, Susan was having a slight hiccup with her settings and there was no way I could help her. (laughs) (laughs) I would have had to have resorted to getting outside help as well. Susan, this is amazing because when I thought about starting this podcast, which was connecting with a thousand women who I am, air quotes, friends with on Facebook. (laughs) Faith, this was a chance to reconnect. I was looking for you for so many years on Facebook. Susan and I went to high school together, which is called College in New Zealand, because we're both from New Zealand. And I found you through Facebook, and I haven't talked to you in 30 years. You know what? I was thinking about that. I actually think it's even longer. Because, yeah, well, well at least, well, let, let's not go there too much. Uh, because... <laughs> Don't want to give too much away. A lady needs your age. But it's been at least three decades. It's been um, a while. And and I'm so happy to talk to you. We reconnected and we've exchanged a few messages and you are with a wonderful man and you live in Canada. Oh. And I mean, we, we came from Glenfield, which is the suburb, which was, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere in Auckland. And now I'm living in Seattle and you're living in Canada. I mean, how did that happen? Isn't that wild? Like, we're probably... I don't know, three hours drive from each other, the other side of the world. How did you end up in Canada? Uh, would you like the Coles notes or the longer version? <laughs> We've got about, I think, 20 minutes before this. Um, I'll, this give you, I'll give you the um, I, um, I left. I left New Zealand when I was 30, I think. 30, 31, so I lived I lived in New Zealand until then. I left New Zealand and I went to um, Vermont, so east coast of the United States, to live and work in a Buddhist retreat center. So I um, went there on staff on a religious visa, which, what was called a religious visa at the time in the States, which allowed me to basically... Um, get room and board, but no income. So I didn't need a green card or anything. So I I moved to Vermont and I ended up staying there for five years and um, did a little bit of traveling, did lots of different programs. In the course of the five years that I was there, I met this man who was later to become my husband. So we connected right at the end of my time at this retreat center. And we, I moved with him to, Halifax, Nova Scotia, which was where he was living at the time. And then we moved 
around different places um, in Canada, back to New Zealand for two and a half years so that he could meet family and get acquainted with my Kiwi whānau. And then we came back to North America and have been in Vancouver now for, I think, almost 10 years. So that's the, that's the short version. When we finish this recording, you and I will make another time and we will do the three-hour version because we can't sum up we can't sum up the deep dive because we can't sum up, you know, 30 years in three hours. I went to a, so I went to a nightclub when I was 18 because that's what you did back in those days. Yeah, right. Yeah, and your clothes used to reek of smoke yeah. and you and you used to dance to the lasers and the and the you know the dry the dry smoke things and this was in, in Parnell it was called Casablanca and I met a really sweet young boy who I didn't take seriously and pretty much 30 years later we reconnected and he said don't you think it's about time you know wow. <laughs> and I know there's, there's a very long story to it but but basically um I mean, my mother says, why didn't you marry him when you were 18? I was saying, I wouldn't have appreciated him. I needed to do a lot of, a lot of, yeah, I, 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 would, I had a very um, chaotic, chaotic next couple of decades before I was able uh -huh. to appreciate him. Yeah. But we, we, so he's a Kiwi uh -huh. and he's been in Seattle for uh, a long time. He moved here for, for tech opportunities. And now I am, I am in Seattle, so. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how life just kind of turns out? <laughs> Did not expect this. I lived in Japan for a few years when I was in England, but uh, I'm now ensconced in Seattle and looking at a lake while we while we speak. Yeah. With a with a French bulldog beside me who's going to start wanting lunch anytime soon. But but more importantly, Susan, the Buddhist retreat, wow. But you're a nurse by trade as well? I am, yeah. So I went to nursing school in New Zealand and um, worked for about eight, eight or nine years in Auckland for um, the district health board um, and then went to the retreat centre and I was kind of unofficially the nurse on staff but I, I did anything that needed to be done in the retreat centre. And um, so I took a big, a big time out of my career and then have got back into nursing once I left the retreat centre. And so now some 30 years um, in nursing in various different roles. But, that, yeah, that's been my career. I've got a couple of different questions I want to ask. First of all, what drew you to Buddhism? Oh, um, I had a friend who I met through work at the time who um, there was just something different about him and he was very kind and um, uplifted and cheerful and I was just curious about how he thought about things and he was a practitioner. He was a Buddhist and um, introduced me to Buddhism and we dated for a period of time, um, but he was my entryway into, into Buddhism. And um, I ended up in New Zealand because a teacher came to, uh, sorry, I ended up in, in the US because we had a visiting teacher who came to New Zealand briefly and we hosted him. And um, he kind of put the idea in my head that I should go to this retreat center. So I went with two bags and um what was going to be maybe a year long ended up being five years. So, yeah, it was an adventure. 
I'm sorry to put you on the spot. May I still ask? Does that still resonate with you? Is that something you're still practicing? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a huge part of my life. May I ask another question? Yeah. Nurse, nursing through COVID. I know you're in Canada and not in America, but you've been on the front lines. Well, I haven't actually been on the front. I was on the front lines, and, and right now I'm um, on medical leave from my job. Um, not COVID related, um, but I was, um, the work that I was doing prior to getting, um, to having time off was, uh, I do a lot of, I was in a leadership role supporting um, initiatives around addressing overdose um, in opioid users and Vancouver, Canada is kind of the centre of um, illicit drug overdose deaths in North America. Uh, so a lot of work and a lot of research, but also a lot of focus on trying to support people who have opiate use disorder and other substance use disorders. So my work was around um, helping develop programs and support clinicians and to develop practice guidance for nurses, particularly around caring for people with substance use disorders. And of course, when COVID came down, uh, the people, the clients who I mostly work with are um, disenfranchised, um, uh, often homeless with severe mental health and substance use disorders, and, um, you know, very much at risk of the effects of COVID with not being able to socially distance and having precarious housing and so forth. So when COVID started happening, we, um, we kind of ramped up uh, developing some guidance around uh, how to support people who were marginalised and at risk of developing COVID on top of, um, you know, using opioids and being at risk of overdose. So that was a pretty crazy couple of weeks, early March. And um, so far, actually, where we are in um, west coast of Canada, the, the, the numbers are increasing more recently. Um, it's certainly not anything like what's happening in the US, um, which is, you know, heartbreaking. So we've been doing okay by comparison. Well, can I also take a minute to say that we're both New Zealanders? Yeah. So we're, we're seeing our country, and I, I still say our country, though I feel very privileged and honoured to be in America. Yeah. We're seeing, we saw our country handle it in a very different way as well. Yeah, it's um, it's so interesting, you know, talking to family at home now and life is kind of normal again for people. And, you know, and every day here for you, for you and for me, I'm sure it's, I, I only go out if I absolutely have to. And every time I leave the house, I'm masked. And, you know, it's such a juxtaposition to talk to family who are, out and about and going and having barbecues because it's summer now and um yeah so there's a lot that um that the kiwis have done really well and um should be admired for i think they i think they tackled covid in a really smart way i have been taking credit yeah, for that me too. <laughs> me too. Uh. Uh, forgive me if I want to circle back around. Um, if I may, you and your husband are ensconced in uh, in Canada, and feel free to uh, 
this is not something we, you know, feel free to uh, not answer, but I know you've thought about moving back to New Zealand with your husband, but he wasn't treated well. And that's one of the darker sides of our wonderful countries that when he went home, when you went home, he wasn't treated as well as he should have Yeah, been. I think, um, you know, so my my husband is um, Jamaican and, and Spanish um, parentage. So he has, and he's lived in the US. Um, he is um, very um, aware of kind of the more subtler forms of kind of discrimination and racism and so forth. And, you know, it, it's it's happened in Canada as well. But I, I think, you know, when we went home, for me it was home and it was very easy for me to slot back into the culture in my life there. And uh, for him it wasn't, it, it wasn't an easy transition. I think um, this was, you know, this was, almost 20 years ago now that we were living back there. So, you know, I'm sure times have changed even since then. But he was, you know, speaking with an American accent and looking different enough that people couldn't place him. And, um, yeah, I think he, he, felt, he felt some more kind of subtle racism and discrimination that made it really uncomfortable for him. So, um that was that was certainly tough to hear of a country and, and a homeland that I love, but I, I totally respect that that was his experience and um, hopefully it's changing and and it needs to change. Yeah, I hope it has. 20 years ago was a long time ago. I was still shocked and horrified because, you know, we grew up with Pacifica. We grew up with uh, surrounded by, by family and friends Absolute. on the ground. yeah. Uh, so I'm shocked and horrified and I had American friends 20 years ago but they were white and they were exotic and they were exciting and they were glamorous um, I wish your husband had had a different experience but the demographic in New Zealand is so different now my auntie Raywin lives in a suburb with 16 different nationalities oh that's so, fantastic yeah I hope he will, yeah, but I, I, you're right, absolutely respect yeah. what he went through. He would have been a stranger in a strange land. I mean, despite to see a Jamaican, somebody who looked, you know, even partly Jamaican in New Zealand 20 years yeah. ago, I'm surprised he wasn't followed around I by crowds. I know, and, and you know, the whole kind of, um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but certainly when I was there, um, the New Zealand attitude to America is kind of a bit... Um, and very laid back and self-effacing and you know I think there's an interesting kind of rub there so he he was obviously not from New Zealand and he had an American accent so I'm sure that probably contributed to it I mean what's what's your experience been like as a as a Kiwi in a different country Wow, thank you. Nobody's asked me a question. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you. Um, I was yeah. lonely. I was really, really lonely. Um, in a way, Tokyo was living in Japan was so much easier because I expected everything to be different. And I was so warmly welcomed there. And there was an expat community that I slotted into really quickly. Um, but I was lonely here. Everything looked so similar, but it yeah. was so different. And... Um, 
I had left a full table. I mean, I had left a full table of friends and family. My sister's my best friend. And I want to ask you about Wendy in a minute, but my sister's my best friend. I left a full table. I left a rich community and I moved here and I knew no one. And there's this thing called the Seattle freeze, uh, whether that's true or not. Um, foreigners, and I say foreigner because I'm from a different country, are a dime a dozen in Seattle. Most It's very rare to find somebody who's born and bred here. So there's no sense of no novelty. There's no need to reach out and be curious. And it took me... Three, this is only my experience, okay, just me. I can only speak my experience, strength and hope. But it took me a good three years to build up a community. And I'm not shy. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm sure I'm an interviewer, but I make friends yeah. easily. And it took me it, it took me a long time to add to be added to yeah. people's tables. That's, so yeah, that's lonely. really, I, 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 yeah, that really struck me when you said that, um, that you felt different even though you expected not to, right? Like everyone speaks the same language and looks somewhat like you, but to feel so different despite that. And then to like to be in an Asian country and actually kind of spark yourself up for, for the cultural difference and, and having an easier time. That's so interesting. Tokyo felt like home. The minute I landed, I felt that I was supposed to be there and it's still... I still grieve, not, you know, but Seattle, I really didn't think it would be that hard. And it, it, there was a, a cognitive dissonance because, like you said, you're driving around looking at people that look like you. And until you open your mouth, I mean, there's a lot of nationalities here because it's yeah. a tech industry. But until you open your mouth, you can pretty much blend in. Whereas in Tokyo, there was no way you could blend in. Wow. You'd always be different. But may I? May I get back to sisters? My sister is my best friend. I just wanted to kind of bring up a couple of things about clothes because I'm having such a good time, but I'm supposed to be talking a couple of questions about closets. Just just for the sake of the theme, you know, what you know, just for yeah. the sake of consistency. But we, you are a twin. A you are oh, you are yes. a twin. As far as I, you, you're still I'm a twin. Still a Please twin. tell me you're still a twin. So were you dressed alike when you were kids or did your parents go out of their way? No, we were dressed alike for, oh my goodness, um, a lot, the longest time, you know what? And I hated it. I actually was desperate to have my own sense of identity. And um, I mean, I loved, I loved being a twin because it was unique and different and special, but there were parts of it that um, I found quite claustrophobic. And certainly being dressed the same um, was one of those things that, that just um, kind of grated on me at some point. But, you know, as it, when we were younger, it, it was just normal, right? I have, I have photos of us at family weddings when we were like 10, 11, 12, even um, completely dressed the same. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's also what people did at that kind of era, I think. It was just what made sense to people, I think. But being 10, 11 and 12, when you're at that age, we are starting to try and identify, especially as your own person. Yeah, and we shared a bedroom. We, we shared a bedroom till we left home. So, you know, my and my twin, Wendy, um, married her, her sweetheart from high school, well, just after high school. So, so she moved out of home and married at 19, but we were, 
we were living, I think, in the same bedroom until pretty much then, and then she, and she left because she married, and and I went to nursing school. So we um, we very much grew up, kind of her and me, um, within my larger family. So I'm one of one of five kids, but yeah, we we shared a bedroom the whole time. The thing is, your paternal twins not identical, and I'm not sure if that was better or worse having you two dressed as the same. Because at least according to television, if you've been identical and dressed right. the same, the hijinks. I know, you right? Got up and, to, and we, you know? I mean, we look like sisters, but certainly not any more than siblings. So again, I know to be dressed the same and to be fraternal was kind of interesting. But I, you know, I, I don't think I ever asked my mother about it directly. I think. I think she just thought that that's what you do. So, yeah, that's what we did. And you know, my mum, my mum was a great um, seamstress. She, uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We were a big family, and my mum um, sewed all of our clothes. Even even sewed my ball gown for the when I went to the ball in the fifth form at Glenfield College. She uh, she sewed me this red taffeta dress that had um, boning in the um, in, in like the bodice area and I was like wow that was pretty amazing so I know Good yeah boy. she she did boning. some boning in a bodice for me for the strapless red taffeta dress I was like take it away mum that's pretty awesome and red on you is yeah. a fantastic color with your coloring I mean red yeah. red rocks on you our school balls you know America they have their high school dances and we have our school balls. And again, they're so different. I know, That's right? Another podcast. But yeah, I mean, we don't we don't have the spring flings and we don't even no. have graduation. Um, so, well, I, but, but, any, but anywho, before I go down that rant, um, what is the favorite, what are your favorite things you like to wear now? You know, I, as I told you in my text, I have a very underdeveloped sense of style. I think. You know, some of it was actually, you know, when I went and lived at the retreat centre, I had two bags with me and um, I had no money for five years. Like I literally was kind of, I had enough money to go out on a weekend maybe and buy myself a coffee. But so there was no like going and buying myself nice clothes and stuff. And I think at that age, like I was in my early 30s, um, yeah, I just, it just wasn't something that I, I thought about very much and um, now I, um, I I try and dress like professionally in my in my job I don't have to wear scrubs or anything because I'm in a leadership role so um, I you know I wear nice kind of trousers or skirts or blouses or whatever but it's not um, I look at people who have a kind of flair and I think I kind of admire that. And then I also look at that and I think I have no idea how I would do that for myself. It feels like a foreign person to me or something. So can I give you, can I point out though that you were dressed as identically as, as a child? Mm -hmm. and you were dressed by appearance. I mean, for a long time, whether it was the era or not, but it was, or Glenfield, but uh, having a say over our clothing. And my experience didn't come that early. Then you went to nursing school for your students. You were dressing as a student. Then you dressed as a nurse, which is a uniform. Then you were in a Buddhist retreat, which again has a completely different set of values around clothing. Yeah. 
So for most of, so can I point, can you give yourself some credit? Like you say underdeveloped. You, you know, I think that's actually right. Yeah, I think you're right. It just, it was not ever something that I, um, there were other things that I was thinking about and and was were, came to me more naturally and I was more kind of inclined towards. Having said that, like I like, I like nice clothes and I know like if I, if I had a had a budget and I could buy the kind of clothes I would want to wear, I I would dress really elegantly and wear beautiful kind of silk blouses and and cashmere and beautiful textures. That kind of stuff is really appealing to me. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think my kind of path veered in a very different direction and and um, I had different kind of pursuits. I think. I don't think you you ever had the chance to really experiment or explore your own style as well. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're you're absolutely gorgeous. You uh, you've certainly got plenty of time to right. explore that if you want to. And and remind me to talk to you about the secondhand luxury market because there are certainly ways of getting a glorious piece of silk in your life. Um, yeah. we'll talk about that off topic, but. Um, Wow, Susan, I feel so grateful we were connected. I mean, I have yeah. wonderful memories of your school. Of, of your on, yeah, you were always honest. Oh. You were always kind, and kindness is something that resonates throughout the decades. It's not Thank you. Forget lightly. That's that's really lovely. I have great memories of growing up and coming down to your house and swimming in your pool. Yeah. The power of pool out the, the back, back. Coming and visiting you and swimming in the pool. I know, and and I yeah, I loved um, high school. Was um, yeah, I, I have great memories of Glenfield College and and you and all of our kind of circle of friends. And it's also really sweet all these years later to kind of come full circle as grown ups and you know kind of who we are now. And I really like who we I really like who we are now. And I just want to end on saying Susan, right? Oh my lord, that's right. Girls. <laughs> you were, you were our head girl, and um I can't think of a better Thank representative you. for our school. Oh, so I'm uh yeah, I, I wanna have I know I'm tripping over you, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm going to finish this conversation now because I'm mindful of the time. But Susan, I would love to. Yeah, um, let's keep. Let's just future. keep chatting, and and some point we'll actually be able to say hi when this kind of COVID is through and and life can return to some kind of sense of normalcy. That'll be wonderful. I'll come to you, or you come to me. We have a guest room. We have a there guest you go. And room. And dog, so view. we're set. Uh, Perfect. I'm going to say aroha, and you're the only person I've interviewed so uh, so far who knows what that means. So aroha, aroha to you, you too. Wonderful. Nice to hear your voice. Okay, bye. You too. Bye.